Welcome to the podcast of the First Baptist Church of Dumas, Texas, featuring biblical teaching and preaching from God's inspired, inerrant, and infallible Word. If you live in the Panhandle area and are looking for a church home, we'd love to see you at First Baptist Church. We meet every Lord's Day for Sunday school at 9 a.m. and morning worship at 10.30 a.m. We also have midweek discipleship opportunities for all ages on Wednesdays. For more information, visit us at fbcdumastx.com. That's fbcdumastx.com. You can also find us on Facebook and Instagram. Now open your Bible as we explore God's Word together. I know uh, history is not everybody's favorite thing, (laughs) and so uh, it would have been really easy to bake in um, historical stuff in every lesson as we go through this series on the person and work of Christ, but um, I'm going to be nice to you and give it to you all in one sitting tonight, and so uh, I figure let's just just take it all out at once, but here's here's what I hope happens. Um, It's always good to do the history as we go along with the doctrines, but now that we've talked about the pre-incarnate Christ and we've talked about the incarnation of Christ, and we've talked about his deity and then his humanity. Now that you've seen you know, the whole picture and you see the truths from Scripture, what I hope tonight will be uh, is as we look at problems in the past and debates and controversies from church history, you'll be able to look at these controversies and see, hey, we talked about that, and I, I saw that in Scripture and then as we read the creeds together tonight, maybe you'll see that that's where they were pulling that from and why that's so important. So that's what I hope <laughs> will happen tonight as we uh, do these historical considerations. So this is the end of the section on the person of Christ, the person and the work, who Christ is, what Christ has done. So tonight we're going to do uh, sort of a finale to the person of Christ by looking at these historical things. Next week is a Q&A, okay? So if there's something that you've been sitting on for a few weeks, something that's been stewing, there are no bad questions, there are no embarrassing questions. If there's something I need to clarify, please, between now and next week, text it to me, email it to me. Don't come up after and tell me because I won't remember. So text me, email me, Facebook message, whatever, and uh, get a question to me. If there are no questions, I'm just going to make up my own, okay? And then I get, <laughs> I get to answer what I want to answer. So uh, that's next week. And, and let's stick within this framework, the person of Christ, what we've talked about for, for uh, four weeks now. Hopefully tonight, maybe it will stir up some more questions for you, okay? As we begin tonight, let's turn to the book of Matthew, Matthew 16. We're going to look specifically at one verse, verse 13. And you know this verse. You might not even need to turn here. This is as Jesus and his disciples um, have come to Caesarea Philippi. And you know the setting. And you know the question don't you? As he gathers his disciples to him, what does he ask? Who do people say the Son of Man is? Who do people say I am? What's what's out there in the world at that time with the disciples and Jesus? uh, By this point, Jesus' ministry has grown. He's doing miracles. He's 
moderately famous or infamous with the religious leaders. And so it's a, it's a question worth asking at this point in his ministry, who do people say that I am? What are, what are the opinions out there about me as the person of Christ? Who am I? Um, obviously, he asked that question to his disciples, and there were multiple opinions. Multiple opinions existed. Some say you're the prophet. And notice they say the prophet, the one that Moses talked about that would come after him, that would be greater than him. You're the prophet. Uh, some people say you're John the Baptist, sort of reincarnated. Um, some people say you're just a teacher, uh, whatever the opinions are. Think about in our day how many opinions exist about who Jesus is. If you ask the average person on the street, maybe, sadly, sometimes even the average churchgoer, someone who considers himself a Christian, who is Jesus? Uh, what kind of answers are you likely to get? Probably just as many opinions as there are people that you ask. Who is Jesus? Uh, here's the key for us, and this is why this study is so important, um, is because there is a right answer. There is a right answer to the question. Of all the opinions that they put out there to Jesus, only one person gets it right. Remember, Simon Peter, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And even then, Jesus doesn't pat Simon on the back, does he? He says, you are blessed because flesh and blood hasn't revealed this to you. In other words, you didn't figure this out on your own, Simon Peter, but what does he say? But my Father who is in heaven, he has revealed it to you. And so even there, getting the right answer, Peter would have never come to the right answer if it wasn't for the Father revealing it to him, who Jesus is. And that's the right answer. You are the Christ, the Son of the living God, and all that is packed into that. Maybe through this series so far, you're, you're asking, why does it matter? Um, you know, we start talking about theology, and people start talking about history, and <laughs> you start digging into controversies and debates, and, and sometimes things that have been going on for centuries. And, and sometimes even Christians can sort of glaze over, right, and go blank face and say, why, why does any of this matter? You know, I just believe Jesus. You know, isn't that good enough? I love Jesus. I believe in Jesus. And as as admirable as that sentiment is, we don't want to just debate to debate. We don't want to just argue to argue. But it does matter immensely who Jesus is. And when you say, I just believe in Jesus, you're making some sort of truth claim there. And what you mean when you say, I just believe in Jesus, is packed with all this stuff we've been talking about. And when someone says, oh yeah, I believe in Jesus... For instance, uh, if you all remember, about a year or so ago, there was some engagement with the Mormon missionaries here, and I, was, <laughs> I had talked to them on Facebook, and they agreed to come and sit with our staff and just answer questions and talk. And you talk to a Mormon missionary, and a Mormon missionary says, uh, we believe in Jesus. We, we're the same. You're Christian, we're Christian, we, we believe in Jesus too. And once you start unpacking what they mean by Jesus very clearly, a different Jesus than the biblical Jesus. So it does matter that we understand who Jesus is according to the Bible, the person of Christ according to Scripture. And ultimately, it matters because eternity is in the balance. Eternity, salvation itself, is in the balance. You can get a lot of things wrong. We talk about doing our theological triage. Remember this, there's primary issues that make us a Christian or not. 
There are secondary issues that might divide us in terms of Methodist, Presbyterian, uh, Lutheran, or whatever. And there's tertiary, even lower issues that might just divide, you know, what we think about some very low points of doctrine. But the doctrine of Christ is in that primary category. And while we can disagree on a lot of things, and while we can have a difference of opinions on many things, and still be brothers and sisters in Christ, still even go to the same church together, you cannot get Jesus wrong. You just cannot get Jesus wrong and still call yourself a Christian. Eternity is in the balance. So when it came to the early church, we're doing a little history tonight. Let's start back in the first century. Before we even get to the the 300s and the 400s that we're going to look at, what was going on in the first century that was a challenge to the doctrine of the person of Christ? Well, some people denied that Jesus was the Messiah at all. You don't have to turn here with me, but remember this from last week, 1 John 2.22. Remember this, who is the liar but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ? This is the Antichrist who denies the Father and the Son. It's very harsh language from the Apostle John, and rightly so. Who is a liar except he who rejects Jesus as the Messiah? And then he takes it a step further. Not only are they a liar, but this is Antichrist. And not only have they rejected Jesus as the Messiah, but they don't even have the Father. To know Jesus is to know God, and to reject Jesus is to reject God. And so these people early on in the church's history, the Apostle John is dealing with them, maybe even within the church, maybe even wanted to call themselves Christians in some sense, following the teachings of Jesus or whatever it was, but he's not the Messiah, he's not the Christ. And John says, that doesn't compute. You're a liar and you're an antichrist. Harsh language, but rightly so. Some denied that Jesus was God. Um, Over in the book of Colossians, famous book for defending the deity of Christ, uh, Paul says this in Colossians 2.9, In him, that is Jesus, the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. Can you say it any clearer than that? In him, the whole fullness, all that there is of God, dwells in him bodily. Uh, Paul, in the book of Colossians, was dealing with, we don't know what the exact false teaching was, but it was some sort of false teaching that claimed to have some secret knowledge, um, dreams and visions and experiences with angels and And they had set up some new rules about what you could and could not eat or what you could and could not drink and, you know, what it really meant to be a spiritual, you know, disciplined Christian or or whatever they would have called themselves. And Paul says they've missed the whole point because all that there is of God dwells in Jesus. And when you have Jesus, you don't need other stuff. It's Jesus plus nothing. And so his point is these people deny that Jesus is God. And by doing so, they miss God altogether. Because in the person of Jesus is all of God in bodily form. Some of them denied that Jesus came in the flesh. So different false teachings, different denials, all equally uh, false. 2 John verse 7, I, I quoted this to you last week, remember? 
Same John that wrote 1 John that said he is a liar, he is an antichrist that denies Jesus is the Christ. Uh, He takes it a step further in 2 John 7. Many deceivers have gone out into the world. Those who do not confess the coming of Jesus Christ in the flesh. And I told you about these early false teachings that said that only the spiritual is good and the physical is bad. And so they began to say, well, Jesus, our God, would have never become physical because that's, that's just common and so elemental. And why would God, who is so transcendent, ever become flesh and bones like us? We're trying to get out of this thing. Uh, God would not come and be one of us. So he only appeared to be human. And the apostles all throughout the New Testament, and here John explicitly says, no, that's just as bad as denying that he's the Messiah. That's just as bad as denying that he was God, remember, is denying that he was truly man. And they say these people refuse to acknowledge that Jesus came in the flesh. So even in the first century, even there before we even turn the corner into the second century, before the apostles have even died, they're already dealing with false teaching within the church. They're already dealing with what we're going to know and understand tonight to be heresy. Now, the word heresy comes from a word that really just originally meant uh, a sect or a group. Something that was uh, heresis just meant something to the side. (laughs) So here's the path or here's the road, and a heresis is just sort of an offshoot. Something that's uh, an an exit ramp off the interstate or the highway. That's what heresis was. So it didn't necessarily mean that, but in Christian theology... It comes to refer to false teaching. Something that has veered off of the path of sound doctrine. Something that has veered off the path of historical Christianity and has started to teach something else. And again, not just a secondary issue that we can disagree on. The mode of baptism or speaking in tongues and things like this that might make you a Pentecostal versus a Presbyterian versus a Baptist. Uh, or even those lower-level issues that we could argue about even within here. Uh, These these are disagreements on first-tier, primary Christian issues. Like, you're not a Christian if you deny this. That's what heresy is. So you have to be careful with how we use heresy. Heresy isn't just something we throw out there because someone disagrees with us on some denominational issue or whatever. Heresy is reserved for people who have veered off the course completely on a primary, top-tier theological issue, such as the person and work of Christ. The challenge for us sometimes, though, is how to distinguish. That was the challenge of the first century. They had the benefit of the apostles writing to them, and John clearly saying this is not right. And so uh, faithful Christians would see John's word, Paul's words, Peter's words, and say, oh, we're going to stick with the apostles, and we're not going to go with this guy over here. Later centuries would deal with heresy too. We're going to see that. And the question in the 300s, the question in the 400s, and really we could just go every century since then, couldn't we? Every century since then has brought its own questions and its own debates, and its own controversies about who Jesus is. And so it's important for us to look at that and know how, how can I distinguish between what is true and right and sound doctrine, historical Christian doctrine, and that which is heresy. And ultimately the question is, who says? Who gets to determine 
what is true and what is false. So in the early church, they're dealing with uh, false teaching. And, and we're going to go through some of these early heresies uh, in the church here in a, in a little bit. And the challenge for them is to try to distinguish between apostolic Christianity, in other words, what the apostles taught, what we have in Scripture, what the apostles taught the churches. Uh, we're going to have to distinguish between that and authentic Christianity and these false teachings. And when someone comes in and introduces a new idea or a new way of thinking about something, how do we look at that and separate between apostolic doctrine, true, sound, biblical stuff, or something else that we're supposed to reject? Um, and we're going to see how some of these were, were dealt with. One early Christian heresy uh, was called the Ebionites. Ebionites were um, a band of of Jews, and it's really unclear historically whether they considered themselves Christians or not. They considered Jesus to be a great prophet. Uh, they didn't reject him altogether as the Pharisees and Sadducees did. They respected him as a great moral teacher that came to maybe reform Judaism, but he was just a man. According to the Ebionites, he was just a man. Though they would say Jesus was a perfect man who, and some of them even embraced the virgin birth, and they would say that Jesus obeyed the law completely. He was sinless. He was perfect. But in terms of giving himself and dying to pay for our sins and, and all that stuff, that's not so much what it means to them. All it means to them was that Jesus lived a perfect life. He obeyed God perfectly in order to show us how we too can obey and how we too can follow the law and how we too can receive blessing and salvation from God, basically uh, by our own efforts in obeying the law. So you see, this is just sort of a Judaistic form of Christianity that embraced Jesus, that said he was perfect, he was sinless, he was good, but that's it. He just simply comes to show us the way how we can obey and, and follow his example too. Another early heresy of, of the church was a heresy called adoptionism. And as you can tell by the name, it's that Jesus became the Son of God. And there were different opinions about when this happened. Um, one of the most prominent was at his baptism. And so they say Jesus, uh, there was no pre-incarnate Christ, that doesn't exist. Um, there was no incarnation, God doesn't become a human being. Uh, but you had this man, Jesus of Nazareth, who lived 30 years of his life, and then suddenly he goes to be baptized, and God adopts him as his son and says, okay, now this is my son with whom I'm well pleased. And some of them say it happened at his resurrection. Some say it happened at his ascension. And so you see, they deny these things we've been talking about, the eternal Christ, the pre-incarnate Christ, that Jesus is the incarnation of God himself. They deny all of that and say, no, he became the son sometime later. God adopted him as his son. This was condemned at a synod. That's just a gathering of the church. And um, sorry, that's supposed to be Antioch. Antioch in 260 AD. Antioch in modern day Syria was an early hub of Christianity. Paul was a missionary there. Um, and at an early synod or gathering of the church, bishops, pastors gathered, 
They heard the matter out and they said, no, <laughs> this is clearly not what the Bible teaches. This is clearly not what the apostles taught. This is not what the gospels teach about who Jesus is. And they condemned it for what it is, and that is false teaching or heresy. And said, if you believe this, you are not part of the true church. They would have used the word Catholic. By Catholic, they just meant the true church, not Roman Catholic but the true Christian church. You are outside of that if you adopt <laughs> adoptionism or Ebionism or something like that. And here's, here's an early phrase that comes to mean a lot in the church, and uh, we're going to talk about this two times tonight. This word homo-usios. Um, homo, obviously, meaning same. And then usios, I had a theology professor in, in Bible college that um, just told us to think about ooze. The ooze is the, is the uh, substance. I don't know why that clicked for me, but it always has. So I always think of uh, homo usios, the same ooze, the same substance. This is what the early church confessed about who Jesus is. That Jesus Christ, the eternal Son of God, is of the same substance as God the Father. He's the same essence. There's no division of the divine nature. He is truly God. He is truly man. But in his godness, he's not something less than God. He's not something other than God. He is the same substance and essence as God himself. Okay, so remember that. Homo usios. Okay? This takes us to some other heresies. Um, monarchianism, you can tell by the name, monarch, head, uh, ruler. In this case, they said there's only one person in the Godhead. It's just one God. God is only one and not three. Um, whoever Jesus is and whoever the Holy Spirit is, it must be something lesser than God. Only the Father is God. Um, and, and some of them went on to say, the Father and the Spirit and the Son are there, but they're just three modes or maybe three roles of the one God, the one person. Uh, this is a heresy called also modalism. You can see mode, modalism, that sees the Trinity not as three distinct co-eternal persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, but as one person who was the Father, who became the Son, and who became the Holy Spirit, and, and might be able just to kind of fluctuate back and forth depending on what he wants to do and what he wants to be. Uh, just one person, though. So you see, this is a, a heresy about who Jesus is because it denies that he is God in human flesh, except that he might just be the Father who became the Son or who became then the Holy Spirit. Uh, one more early heresy of the church, docetism. Docetism comes from a Greek word that means to look or to appear. And so you see where we get the name from. It's that Jesus only appeared human. Now, as you go back earlier in your handout and you see these heresies that they were dealing with, some denied that Jesus was the Messiah. Some denied that Jesus was God. Some denied that Jesus was truly man. And as you look at these early heresies, you can say, there's that one, there's that one, there's that one. What are they denying? What are they not affirming that they have to about who Jesus is? And in this case, they're saying that Jesus only appeared to be human. God, they said, 
was so completely transcendent. In other words, he's so completely up there and out there and holy and righteous, which he is. But they say he is such that he would never stoop down and become one of us. He might have appeared to be human, but he could not have truly become human. So they say the flesh or the humanity of Jesus was just a mask or a costume for God. Something he just sort of dressed as to help us um, know who he is and and to be able to show us the way and, and these things. But he did not actually take on true human nature. He just appeared to be that. So let's talk about some of the good guys in these early centuries. Aside from the apostles, okay? The apostles, they die. Uh, John is the last of the apostles to die. Um, But we're not left with no defenders of the faith, okay? There are early, what we call the church fathers, who were very much defenders of the faith. And all of these, Ignatius, Irenaeus, Tertullian, Hippolytus, um, they all wrote huge works against heresy, Uh, I think most of them wrote at least one book called Against Heresies. And in these books, they defended what the apostles taught against what these heretical groups were teaching. Now, you can go find these online. A lot of them are there for free. There are still publishing houses. Admittedly, most of them are Catholic or Orthodox uh, because they seem to be the only ones that care about the early church, um, sadly. Uh, but you can find those there, and you can buy them. You can read them. You can buy that. I have a huge volume called The Apostolic Fathers, which is some of the earliest writings of Christians after the apostles. It's not scripture, but it does give us a, a really keen insight into the early church. And, and these good guys that were battling against these false teachings. Uh, You can go pick up a pamphlet or a book or read something online, find quotes where they went after each of these false teachings by name and addressed where they were wrong, why they were wrong, and from Scripture, how they could prove that Jesus was truly God, how Jesus was truly man, and what he had done for us through his cross and his resurrection. So make sure you at least write the names down. You can just look them up later and find all the dates and stuff if you want to. Ignatius, Irenaeus, Tertullian, and Hippolytus, or Hippolytus, as you'd say. All right, so tonight we're going to talk about two major councils of the church. There are many. There were many synods and many councils. Uh, There's the so-called seven ecumenical councils that um, that the Catholic Church holds to, that the Orthodox Church holds partly to, and that even we as Protestants go back and look at things like the Nicene Creed and the Chalcedonian Creed and say, this, this is what we believe. This is an accurate um, representation of who we are and what we believe. The first council I want to talk about tonight is the Council of Nicaea that occurred in the year 325 A.D. Now, a little more history leading up to this. Up until the 300s, you know, Christianity, the, the church faced roller coasters of persecution depending on who the emperor was. Uh, beginning with Nero in AD 60, uh, all the way up to Constantine here at the beginning of the 300s, the, the church, depending on the whims of the emperor, was either really badly persecuted 
or allowed to, to exist. And you know, by persecution, I mean like you know, being burned alive and fed to the lions and, and all the things that the early church faced. And they would have some relative years of peace and then back to persecution, relative peace. But it's not until Constantine in, I think, 319 AD um, supposedly has a vision of the cross in the sky as he's about to go into battle, the emperor of the Roman Empire, Constantine, he supposedly has this vision. He hears the voice of Jesus that says, uh, by this sign, the cross, conquer. And so he immediately goes, uh, tradition says, and, and puts crosses on all the Roman uh, shields. And they win, and Constantine, the Roman emperor, is converted to Christianity. So the story goes. And uh, with, with, with uh, Constantine, Christianity becomes not just legal, but later it will become the only recognized official religion of the Roman Empire. So as we begin to sneak into that a little in the 319s and, and, and 321 with the Edict of Milan, you see how one emperor, Constantine, could gather all the Christian churches and all the bishops and all the pastors together for a big imperial Christian council. And the big problem facing the Council of Nicaea was a bishop named Arius. There were lots of things they were trying to decide. I mean, if you can imagine, they were trying to decide what date to celebrate Easter on. Uh, they were trying to just talk about what books belong in the Bible and what, what some of these books that we have now uh, that were being written at that time, why they don't belong in the Bible. Um, and the, the big issue, though, was this, Arianism. Arius was a bishop, a pastor, as I said, who denied Christ's deity. Arius taught specifically that Jesus was the first creation of God, and he was wonderful and glorious, and certainly more than human, but he was less than God. He was less than God, namely because Arius denied that Christ was eternal, that he had a beginning point in time, listen to this language, when he was created by the Father, when he was made by the Father. And he looked at the, the scripture and he said that, after all, that's what it means by begotten, that he, he was born of the Father, he was created by the Father. That's what it means when it says he's the firstborn of all creation, he said after, that's what it means. He, he was the first creation. He was the first thing God created. So definitely more glorious and more wonderful than any human being in and of himself, but less than God, not eternal like God. And Arius said, Jesus is not, remember this word from earlier, he is not homoousios with the Father, He's not the same substance as the Father, but, Arius said, he is homoousios. One little letter <laughs> makes a big difference in what you view of the person of Christ. Is he the same substance as the Father, truly God, homoousios, or is he just of similar substance to the Father, but nevertheless, less than God, homoiousios. 
And this was the question that the Council of Nicaea gathered to try and decide. Athanasius, who is a bishop in North Africa, along with many others, refuted Arius' heresy, said this is false teaching. This is not what the Bible teaches. This is not what the apostles taught. Um, Jesus is eternal, co-eternal with the Father, homoousios with the Father, the same substance, truly God, yet truly man. But Arius' teachings were gaining footholds in some of the churches. They were threatening the church, the unity of the church. And Constantine, the emperor, saw this as a big problem. And we've got to get together and fix this, or we're going to have a divided church, one side that's Arian, that denies the deity of Christ, and one side that's Christian that embraces and affirms the deity of Christ. So he calls this council, the Council of Nicaea, to address the issue. And all the bishops and all the pastors gathered to uh, decide what is it that the apostles taught? What is it that the Bible teaches about who Jesus is? And you'll hear lots, you'll hear lots of things about the Council of Nicaea, depending on who you're talking to. If you're reading a Dan Brown book like the Da Vinci Code, um, or you're, you're talking to someone like a, the scholar Bart Ehrman, who's really into the early Gnostic Gospels and things like this, and, and in what they'll say is there, there were lots of versions in the early church of who Jesus was, and it was just those bullies at the Council of Nicaea, the Roman Catholic Church, that decided this is what we're going to do, and then they just kind of snuff out everybody else's opinion. And so that's one view. You'll have another view um, from some heretical groups about the Trinity that say that the doctrine of the Trinity was invented at the Council of Nicaea. Never mind that Tertullian, um, who we talked about earlier from the second century, 100 years earlier, had already coined the phrase Trinity. They'll say that the Council of Nicaea invented it and just uh, kind of just imposed it upon the church, and nobody ever believed it before that until then. And of course, that's not the case either. So lots of stuff out there about what happened at Nicaea. But what you did have was a bunch of pastors, a bunch of bishops concerned about the unity of the church, seeing this threat from this false teacher Arius and trying to deal with it in a final way to distinguish between apostolic Christianity and this heresy or this false teaching. Well, as you know, the bishops sided, um, and, and, and Constantine did too, with Athanasius in affirming the uh, deity of Christ. Um, on your separate handout there that has the creed, look at it with me. Now, what we have here is the Nicene Creed. There, there are just a few things in here. Uh, that weren't there in 325, but were included later in, in 381. So technically, this is the second Nicene Creed with some additions at the end. But the part about Jesus was the same. And I just want you to look at, at what it says. Uh, we believe in one God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and of all things visible and invisible. Now pay careful attention to what they say about Jesus. And in one Lord Jesus Christ, the only Son of God, Begotten from the Father before all ages, okay? Arius could follow up to there, couldn't he? Son of God, yeah. The firstborn of all creation, yeah. The begotten of God, absolutely. But here, here's these affirmations of Nicaea. God 
from God. Light from light. True God from true God. And now look at this line. Underline star and circle. Begotten, not made. Of the same essence, homoousios, as the Father. Through him all things were made for our salvation. He died and rose again and all the rest. You see that right there? How, how they encapsulated in those phrases everything they were dealing with. The only begotten of God, the Son of God, yes, but also God from God, light from light, true God from true God, begotten, not made. Look at what he says, what they say next. For us and for our salvation, he came down from heaven. He became incarnate by the Holy Spirit and the Virgin Mary. And this part here, and was made human. You see, all, all, all the heresies being dealt with in these phrases. He is the Christ, the Son of the living God. He is true God of true God. He was begotten, but he wasn't made. And here, he became truly human. When it comes to the Council of Nicaea, it's important for us to understand that this was no new doctrine. Nicaea did not, in their confession, in the creed, the council wasn't getting together to invent anything. The council was not getting together to just spring something new on the church that they had never thought of before. No, the council was coming together to say, this is what the scriptures taught. The whole testimony of scripture points us here. So when we read the, re the words of that creed, though those words are not inspired scripture, absolutely, they are nevertheless accurate statements about what inspired scripture teaches about who Jesus is. So they said, this is nothing new. This is what the scriptures taught. This is what the apostles taught. As the council went back and looked at the writings of John and Peter and Paul and Scripture, as they looked back at their disciples, Clement and Polycarp and Irenaeus, uh, Irenaeus and Ignatius, I just mushed, mushed them all together, didn't I? They went back and looked at those books and those writings. This is, what, this is what the apostles taught. This is what the church fathers taught. This is nothing new. So how do we distinguish? Well, in this case, we looked at what scriptures taught. We looked at what the apostles taught. We looked at what the early church confessed. And when we look at what Arius was teaching, it didn't match up with that. And so we recognize this to be false teaching or heresy. Some of the other heroes from the 300s and the controversies that went on from there. Um, of course, we mentioned Athanasius, Gregory of Nyssa, Gregory Nazianzus, and Basil, Basil of Caesarea. Uh, many, many more that, that could be listed here, but these are sort of the biggies. And... Um, a lot of these guys, Gregory, Gregory, and Basil, called the Cappadocian fathers, um, they went on to fight another battle. 
After Athanasius died and after the battle over the person of Christ was done, uh, guess what was next? Oh, the Holy Spirit isn't God. (laughs) And so Gregory and Gregory and Basil and many others went to battle with the scriptures, with the apostles, with the church fathers to say, no, the Holy Spirit is God. And so that in this final version of the Nicene Creed that, that they had a hand in writing in 381, look at what it says at the bottom about the Holy Spirit. We believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord, the giver of life, who proceeds from the Father and the Son, and with the Father and the Son is worshipped and glorified, who spoke through the prophets. They went on to defend and to fight the war for the deity of the Holy Spirit as well. There's one more council we want to talk about, and that's in 451, the Council of Chalcedon. Just as you had uh, any number of heresies in the first, second, and third centuries sort of creeping into the church that were dealt with at Nicaea, you had a whole new batch that were coming up into the 300s and the 400s. They never stop, you know, surprisingly. False teaching does not sleep. One such false teaching was Apollinarianism. Uh, Now, Apollinarius started out good. He was trying to defend Athanasius. And he was trying to defend the deity of Christ and say Christ is God. So remember, the ditches are always there with Pastor Matt. Remember the ditches. You can go on this side of the ditch. You can go on this side of the ditch when you're not careful to hold the balance. And while he was trying to defend the deity of Christ, which is a good thing, he went too far and he ended up compromising Christ's humanity. And he did so by saying that Jesus had no human will and no human soul. And so he had this kind of mixed view of who Jesus was. To to Apollinarius, Jesus sort of just became this kind of empty vessel that was filled with this whole other thing, namely God. Remember the hypostatic union? One person, two natures. Not two persons, and not one weird mixed nature. But Apollinarius said, no, Jesus, Jesus of Nazareth, the man, was just more or less the house into which this God thing was put in. But he was not truly God and truly man. He was really only God with no human will, no human soul, no human mind. And so you can see how that goes astray of confessing the full humanity of who Jesus is. Another false teaching was Nestorianism. Nestorianism denied the unity of Christ's person. So remember, one person, two natures. Hypostatic union. One person, two natures. Uh, Nestorius and the Nestorians and Nestorianism denied the unity of Christ's person by overemphasizing the two natures to where you ended up having sort of divisions in the person of Christ, like alter egos, split personalities, fractioning off who Jesus was into this side and that side. This part was this, this part was this. Not one person with two natures, but almost as if it was two persons living within one body. Another false teaching around this time was Eutychianism. They always have fun names, don't they? 
Eutychianism. <laughs> Guess what? Christ is neither divine nor human. <laughs> it's funny when you deal with false teachers and you deal with false teaching is that anything that can go wrong will go wrong with false teachers. And so you have one saying, uh, Jesus is not God. Uh, no, Jesus isn't man. Hey, you got these folks. This is something brand new. Get, get this. Jesus is neither. <laughs> he's, he's neither human nor divine. But they said he was one new mixed nature. Something completely different. Not truly God and truly man, but Godly man, manny God, Kind of, kind of this hodgepodge new thing that, that, that had happened in the incarnation. Uh, this one borders on being okay. Because when you deal with, I'll just give you the big name for it. When you deal with people who are truly what we call monophysites, monophysitism, that's just a big word that means one nature. Okay, monophysitis, uh, one nature, one nature. They deny that Jesus had two natures, human and divine. They say he just had one new nature. Uh, there are some ancient forms of Christianity that still hold to this um, in the Orthodox Church, not the Greek or Eastern Orthodox, but the Ethiopian Orthodox Church, the Egyptian Orthodox Church, what we call Coptic Christians. I don't know if you know about these folks, but they're out there. Um, a lot of... Uh, Christian strands that were left in the Middle East and North Africa would still hold to um, this version of Christ. So they would have rejected Chalcedon. They would have rejected the one person, two natures. And they would have said, no, one person, one nature, something completely different that's both God and man. Don't know how to describe it, but that's what it is, one, one nature. So it kind of borders on being okay because it confesses he's truly God and it confesses he's truly man but it just talks about the natures in a different way that's not helpful. So Chalcedon is called in 451 AD. Another council of the church called to try and determine what did the scriptures teach? What did the apostles teach? What did the church fathers teach? Can we go back and see evidence from scripture, from the apostles, and from the early church on, on what Christians have always believed? And then when we put up Apollinarianism and Nestorianism and Eutychianism and whatever other isms there were, when we compare those to what scriptures, the apostles, and the early church taught, do we see that they're false? Are they heresies? And so on the back of your paper, you see the, the Chalcedonian Creed. And we looked at this uh, two weeks ago or last week, one of the two. And again, as we read, notice how they're dealing with these false teachers. We then, following the Holy Fathers, all with one consent, teach men to confess one and the same Son, our Lord Jesus Christ, the same perfect in Godhead and also perfect in manhood, truly God and truly man, of rational soul and body. That's of human soul and body against Apollinarius. Co-essential, homoousios, with the Father, according to the Godhead, and consubstantial with the nature, according to manhood. In all things like unto us, without sin, begotten before all ages of the Father, according to the Godhead, and in these latter days, for us and for our salvation, 
born of the Virgin Mary, the mother of God, according to one manhood, one and the same Christ, Son, Lord, only begotten, to be acknowledged in two natures, without confusion, without change, without division, without separation, the distinction of natures being by no means taken away by the union, but rather the property of each nature being preserved and concurring in one person and one subsistence, not parted or divided into two persons against Nestorius, but one and the same Son, the only begotten, God the Word, the Lord Jesus Christ, as the prophets from the beginning have declared concerning him, and the Lord Jesus Christ himself has taught us, and the creed of the Holy Fathers handed down to us. So, Nicaea and Chalcedon were, I mean, needless to say, watershed moments in the history of the church that defined for time and eternity after that what was going to be considered biblical apostolic Christianity and what wasn't. And when we look at these men, again, we're not reading people just inventing stuff. They're not springing something new on the church at Nicaea and Chalcedon that, that would have been surprising to your average Christian. No, the average Christian could pick up a copy of John's Gospel or by the 400s a complete New Testament and read what the Bible says or what the apostles taught or they could read a letter from Ignatius or Irenaeus or Tertullian or Origen or any of the early church fathers and they could see this for themselves. This is not new. This is what the apostles taught. This is what scripture teaches, and this is what it means to be a Christian. Now, that's just two moments in church history amongst thousands. And you know we move beyond the 500s and the 600s, and then you have the birth of Islam, which is a whole new battle for the church in the Middle East and North Africa, as you know. And then we go into the split between the Eastern and the Western churches, and there's Roman Catholicism, and now there's Eastern Orthodoxy. Then you get to the Reformation, the biggest division in church history in the 1500s, and it just keeps on going. There's never a time when there's not debate, when there's not controversy, when there's not questions. Down to our day, uh, you can look around at these unrelenting challenges of something like Mormonism or Jehovah's Witnesses, uh, modern Islam, yeah, I snuck in Creflo Dollar there. Did you see him? Uh, Creflo Dollar is a prosperity gospel preacher, teacher, big, huge, thousand-member church in Atlanta that uh, has taught very false teachings about who Jesus is. Uh, you got to watch out for the prosperity guys. The prosperity guys, uh, I, I could name names, but you know who they are. Go online and look them up. And don't listen to them, but, but know who they are. They do just invent stuff, Right? That's, that's Benny Hinn sitting on a, a TBN couch back in the day and saying that within the Trinity, there's actually, each one has a Trinity. So the Father has a Trinity, the Son has a Trinity, and the Holy Spirit has a Trinity. And people just sit there and say, oh, wow, I didn't know that. Why do people do that? Because they don't know their church history. Because they don't know their creeds. They don't know their confessions. They don't know what the apostles taught. They don't know what Scripture taught. And they certainly don't know what the early church believed. And so they'll buy into anything. Uh, Creflo Dollar went on to deny that Jesus was truly human. But the thing about the prosperity gospel teachers is that they'll just say something in a sermon, and it's not like some central part of what they believe. It's just something they say in the moment, and then they just forget about it. 
Uh, Benny Hinn probably doesn't even remember that statement about the Trinity, but it's there. You've got to watch out for those guys. Uh, down to any church, any church on any block, these questions exist still. Any Sunday school class, any small group, these debates, these controversies, these questions are still there. And so it comes to us, just as it did Nicaea, just as it did Chalcedon, just as it did the Reformers, to look at Scripture, to look at the apostolic authority of the church, to look at the early church, not as Scripture, but to see where did we come from? What did the church always believe and teach? And to be able to tell the difference between true, authentic, apostolic Christianity and a false teaching or a heresy. You know, Paul says in Galatians chapter 1, um, he's dealing with another false teaching at the church at Galatia, and he says, you know, I'm surprised that you've so quickly deserted the gospel and chased another gospel. And then Paul says very quickly, not that there is another gospel, don't get me wrong, but there are people who say there is another gospel. And then you remember what he says? If we, or anyone, or even an angel from heaven, proclaim to you a different gospel than that which you received, let him be cursed. If anyone pronounces and proclaims a different Christ than what you've heard from us, let him be accursed and cut off from the promises of God, because that person is not a believer. The truth tonight, and uh, the truth every century, is that there is no other gospel and there is no other Christ. And so it's incumbent upon us. Why does it matter? To study these things, to know these things. It's incumbent upon us to be able to know the truth and to distinguish truth from error. And when someone offers an opinion or is preaching or is teaching, even if it's me, and you look at your Bible, and you look at your church history, and you say, that's not right. That's why we need to know these things. And that's why we need to be rooted in our Bibles, rooted in our history, rooted, yes, even in the creeds and the confessions of the early church to know who we are, what we believe, what the gospel is, and who Jesus is. All right, so for next week, remember to get some questions to me. Text, email, Facebook message, um, however you want to get them to me. Uh, call and leave a voicemail and, and leave a question for me and I'll answer them next week, okay? About the person of Christ or any of the history stuff we talked about, okay? Let's pray. Thank you, Father, for this opportunity to be together. Thank you for the testimony of uh, so many men who have gone before us, men and women and children and those who have held the banner of truth um, and who Jesus is and what the gospel is for so many centuries. God, help us never to get lost in the moment, never to get lost in the present so that we forget the past and forget who we are and where we came from and those who gave their lives quite literally in many cases for the truth of the gospel and the truth of who Jesus is. Help us to remember that. Help us to hold that as precious. Help it to spur us on to know what we believe and why and to be able to defend that against heresy and false teaching that is around us every single day. God, protect us from error. Keep us in your truth. By the power of your Holy Spirit, point us all to Jesus every day. In his name we pray, amen. 
Thanks for listening. For more information about what it means to follow Jesus as Lord, you can email us at fbcdumas at hotmail.com. It's fbcdumas at hotmail.com. You can also reach us by phone at 806-935-5604. We'll see you next time.